Okay, Steve was uh, helping us out a little while ago, passing out a paper that will help you take some notes tonight. So if you don't have one of those, raise your hand and he'll make sure that you get one. And I think most of you do, and I appreciate that so much. You one over here? And um, we uh, wanted to just kind of talk about some things tonight that the storm or potential storms last week kind of knocked us out um, using our PLOW. Last week was learning, and that's what this was really made for. But it also fits with the O. This is outreach, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that and uh, share some things with you that I think will help and also share the burden of your pastor's heart about all of this. Um, I noticed something, good night, 25 years ago when I came here that bothered me, that bothered me. And it was the whole concept of outreach. Why did that start bothering me? Well, I was in an elders meeting, and, um, you know, it dawned on me. Taylor had a birthday the other day. Taylor is now the age I was when I came here. And it's kind of weird to think about, isn't it? And uh, we were in a meeting, and um, I talked about some things I wanted to do, things I had done at other churches, a high attendance day, a friend's day, some different things like that. And a very prominent member came up and put his arm around me and said, you know, uh, we've just found out around here that if the preaching's good and the singing's good, all of that stuff takes care of itself. Okay? The message I got from that was, number one, this is all on you. And number two, we ain't doing it. Okay? And so uh, with some of the difficulties we had back then, it was a kind of a setback and kind of a changing, scarring kind of thing. And uh, this is something that's still on my heart. And I think if there's any weakness that we have, and of course we're sinners, there are many weaknesses that we have. Even as a church body, as hard as we try, we still fall short of the glory of God. I think one of it is I don't hear much about people sharing their faith anymore. I can remember, and I could name names, people that in the early days until the Lord took them home, there were certain people in the church that every Sunday they had somebody they wanted me to pray for, somebody that they had met, somebody that had moved in their neighborhood, somebody that was, uh, one lady, you know, was getting chemo, and she talked about the people that she was able to witness to. And I miss that. I miss that. I uh, miss seeing people baptized regularly, don't you? I miss those kind of things. And um, that's one of the things that with all of our strengths, that's one of those that we're just not quite where we ought to be. And you may be. I'm not indicting everybody here. I'm, you may be. You may be. I'm just speaking as a pastor to the flock as a church. I don't think we're where we need to be in all of this. And so um, I've written up some things that I wanted to teach. Now my surgery situation and all of that may, is going to kind of knock me out of the month of November. So um, our little outline and everything may not work quite the way that we had planned it. But uh, with this one being our outreach, this certainly fits with it. One of the first, one of the earliest sermons that I preached in my ministry, I uh, preached it at Trinity Baptist and Moore. Um, I, it was somewhere in the early 80s. And uh, I preached a message called, Why Don't We Go? And I took Moses at the burning bush and all of his excuses for not wanting to go and, you know, had a, for me, it was a dynamite message, you know, because it was probably the best one I'd ever put together. And uh, I saw it the other day, and I thought, that might be good to kind of address. And uh, so I didn't, I'm not, don't worry, I'm not going to use it. Um, but I did sit down, and it's interesting, uh, when you're 61 and not 22 or whatever I was then, and you've had decades of ministry experience, I just sat down and wrote them out. And so everything you find on here was just written out of a heart and mind of experience. This is what I have seen. And I've given some scripture with all of that that we will uh, look at tonight. And so we'll try not to belabor any of the points. I just wanted to kind of 
uh, hit us and cause us to think, to evaluate, and to repent, if necessary, of uh, why it is that we're not sharing our faith. And then, um, hopefully, before November 3rd, uh, we'll take a chance to share with you some practical things about witnessing. I have been through a lot of witness training over my life, and, um, you know, I'm like everybody else. Knowing it is different than doing it. Knowing it is not the same thing. And sometimes, uh, by the time we go through um, things like EE and WIN and TELL and uh, FAITH, you remember some of you did that, and all of that, it's, it's like we know this stuff. But sometimes getting into it and talking about it is a little bit difficult, and then it also comes across like it's a sales program or a multi-level marketing type thing, and we don't want to do that. I think in the New Testament, as I read through the book of Acts, it was much more natural and um, I guess we would say organic with that. And so we'll talk about that and give you some things that will uh, try to help you. And uh, we may do that next week as we incorporate that in with our worship because I don't know how you worship the Lord any more than by telling somebody about Jesus. And I don't know that you'll ever see a greater miracle or the power of God any stronger than when a dead sinner is converted into life. And God's sovereign plan and the way he has ordained it is to do that and to spread his word through us. And why he doesn't use angels, I don't know. And uh, why he doesn't just, you know, do something powerful and write it in the sky, I don't know. But he's chosen to use frail, weak sinners like us. And so uh, let's talk about some of the things that are kind of hang-ups for us. And I've got, uh, for each one of the points, there's kind of a fill-in-the-blank place there. And then the scriptures that we're going to be using, they'll also be on the PowerPoint. And... Um, so if you're watching by live stream or something like that, you can keep up with us in a place where you can keep notes and jot down some thoughts and ideas. Now, I, I want you to keep this kind of personal to you. This is not just the kind of thing to where I'm looking at and saying, this is what I have to say. Um, I think it's important that you uh, look at these things and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Where, where, where do you struggle? And uh, I struggle in some of these things because... Um, just self-disclosure here. I don't think about it all the time like I should. And um, I have to get real intentional if I'm going to do this type of thing and, and be a witness. I mean, if you come and drop a brick on my toe, then I might tell you about Jesus. But other than that, I'm kind of tunnel visioned on what I'm doing. And so I'm asking the Lord to make me more aware of my surroundings and people that are around me and ways to witness. I also uh, am somewhat introverted and uh, it's kind of strange that God would take a guy who is an introvert and then put him in front of, of people but sometimes it's easier for me I've, I've preached in uh, large, large crowds and situations and I haven't been terribly nervous by all of that that doesn't bother me um, I've sung for big crowds I sang on a Friday night at Falls Creek one year and that didn't bother me. But put me in a place with one or two people and palms get sweaty and the heart beats a little fast and it, it's hard for me to do that. And any, anything that I've done, it's, I, I mentioned it this morning, has been just through years of practice. It doesn't come naturally to me and I know that's the same way some of you are. Others of you, it's like no problem. You could talk to anybody about anything. And so uh, some of these things are more pertinent to me than they are maybe to you, and some of them to you maybe than they are for me. Just take this real personal and let the Lord uh, speak to your heart. The first one that I wrote down here is probably the biggest problem, I think, in our churches. Uh, we've been trying for years to get people to witness for their faith, and we haven't been terribly successful at it. And this goes back even you know, to the 40s and 50s. Um, there was a guy that wrote a song about it, and he said... Um, you know, he wondered why people wouldn't go when it was to the tune of shortening bread. Remember that song? And he said, so we had a clinic, we had a school, we gave them lots of gimmicks and tools, maps and tracks, and a book by Truett. Now they know how, but they still won't do it. And uh, this is nothing new, and it's not just an indictment on us. 
It's just something that has to be done. And if you're concerned about the direction of our country, I do encourage you to vote and those kind of things and be informed. But the greatest thing you can do as a Christian is something that no political analyst or consultant or politician can do. And that is simply this. Be salt and light and witness to other people. Witness for your faith. We're living in dark times. We need to shine some light. So the first thing is, I think we just have a lot of lost church members. So you can write down the word lost because you can't really witness about what you haven't seen. And you don't have the power and you don't have the Holy Spirit that testifies through us because that's really what witnessing is, the Holy Spirit testifying through us about what's happened in our life. Now in Jude 19, where's the chapter verse? Well, there's only one chapter in Jude, so you don't really need one, right? And Jude 19, he talks about people and he says, these are sensual persons. In other words, they just operate by their five senses. They don't have anything else to go by. It's all gut and intuition and taste, touch and feel and sight and all of that. They can't do anything else. They're not all there. They're spiritually dead. And he says they're sensual persons who cause divisions. But this is the main thing that struck me, not having the spirit. Well, what difference does it make having the Spirit? Well, Acts 1.8 answers that. And it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. So having the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the world. When you have the Spirit, you have power. And when you have that power, you will be witnesses. Now, you're either a good witness or a bad witness, but you are a witness and you're testifying to people about Christ. Keep your mouth shut. You're testifying that Christ is no big deal. Salvation doesn't really matter. It's, you know, not really all of that important. You speak up about it. Even if you don't do it well, you speak up about it. You're saying this is something that is important. And so... People with the Holy Spirit are witnesses in a variety of situations. And so if you take lost people and you have them in the church, of course they're not interested in worship, they're not interested in attendance, they're not interested in giving unless they get something out of it. And they're not really all that into the spiritual side of things. They may like the business side, they may like the charitable side, they may like the fellowship side of all of that, but... Uh, especially when it comes to evangelism, they kind of clam up because they really don't have anything. But you do. As a born-again believer, you do because the Holy Spirit is, is within you. Having said that, the second thing I thought of is how many people are ignorant today? I was listening to a radio show where a guy was on a college campus witnessing, and it was amazing how many of those students, it was in Georgia, that he would talk to and they would say they were Christians. They would say they were Christians. And yet this one guy, when he said, well, if I were not a Christian, what would you tell me about why I need to be a Christian? And he said, oh, I would say that's just up to you. I don't really want to offend you or do anything like that. And then the guy goes, well, let me help you a little bit. For God so loved, and the guy goes, I have no idea. No idea. And uh, he was one who claimed to be a Christian. He had no idea about the gospel. Couldn't explain the gospel. Couldn't share the gospel. Couldn't even talk personally about what the Bible said or what he had experienced in Christ. And so this radio guy ended up witnessing uh, to him. And there are some people who are ignorant about the commands. Some people just don't know. Nobody's ever told them that uh, we are commanded by God to share our faith. And... um, Other people are ignorant about the gospel. What is the gospel? It is a style of music. I mean, it's been attached to so many things. In fact, some people would say gospel preaching is bow your heads, every head bowed and every eye closed, and Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Oh, why won't you let poor Jesus in? And uh, that type of thing. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. And the outgrowth of the gospel is amazing. The Holy Spirit coming into our lives, having a right right relationship with God, being able to understand the scripture and uh, having a home prepared for us in heaven and knowing that our steps are ordered from God. Those are all the outgrowth of all of that. Uh, 
Andy O'Kelly, the pastor I grew up under, said the gospel is everything God is able to do for you because of the cross. It's not bad. Some people say grace, G-R-A-C-E, is God's riches at Christ's expense. And so uh, the gospel basically means good news. So we shouldn't keep our mouth shut about good news or anything like that at all. And uh, some people have no idea about the destination of the lost. Do people talk about hell anymore? Well, I know a lot of churches where sin is not mentioned and hell is not mentioned. And so there are probably people in churches like that that are born again and they don't realize that lost person that they care so much about and that they love is going to die and spend an eternity in hell. And that needs to really sink into us when we look at people to have uh, some compassion upon them. And Proverbs chapter 12, verse 23 says, A prudent man conceals knowledge. You don't just run your mouth. You don't have diarrhea of the mouth, in other words. But the heart of fools proclaims folly. And as I thought about that verse, while it's not directly about evangelism or sharing our faith, it does speak to this one thing. How often is it that we find it easy to talk about things that don't really matter? And we can be chatterboxes, chatty Cathy about all of that. We can drive people crazy with it about things that don't matter. But then when that prompting comes, share Jesus with them, all of a sudden we just, oh, I'm not sure I could talk. Oh, I'm not sure I could really get that done. Isn't that amazing how we can do that? And uh, we need to think about that. How is it that we can talk about football? We can talk about weather. We can talk about kids. We can talk about sports. We can talk about all kinds of things, the economy. We can talk about politics. We need to talk about Jesus because all of those things are what the Bible would call folly apart from Jesus Christ. They don't really matter and they're not going to matter in eternity. We have eternal treasure given to us and it's valuable. It costs the Son of God His life and He has commanded us to share it and so uh, we need to do that. Don't plead ignorance. Number three, okay, prideful fear of man prideful fear of man proverbs 29:25 says the fear of man brings a snare but whoever trusts in the lord is safe you know there's no safer place to be than in the will of god and one of the things we do know about the will of god is it is for you to share your faith with different people and does that have to be somebody just like you Old people can share with young people. Young people can share with old people. Men can share with women. Women with men. Children to parents. I mean, it's, it's wide open on all of this until we get afraid of what they're going to say, what they're going to think, what is this going to cost me, and uh, all of that. And what happens? Solomon says it lays a snare. It is a trap. And we don't realize just how trapped we are when we can't freely talk about Jesus Christ. Now, don't be a jerk. And I'm not saying uh, while your boss is paying you for work that you ought to be preaching and all of that. I think your work ethic ought to be better than that. But you ought to live a life and know people and build relationships with the goal of at the appropriate time and place, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And I'm going to do it in a way that's not cheesy. Oh, man, the 70s were cheesy. And uh, people said, God is like Coke. He's the real thing. But, you know, God is like Hallmark cards. He cared enough to send the very best. Remember that commercial? You know, and I think for most of them, it's like they think God is like Burger King. Have it your way, right? And uh, none of that works. None of that works. I heard about somebody that was at a grocery store and they gave them a $100 bill and they got their change. They said, here's your change. And the person said, speaking of change, can I tell you how God changed my life? Um, some of that may be clever, but it trivializes what's happening. And it makes to the lost world look at us like we're just a bunch of cheese whiz here, aren't we? And uh, no wonder they're not impressed and no wonder they don't have... Uh, much respect or see much need for it we need to be serious about the gospel and we can't be afraid of what man can do to us in john seven thirteen, it says 
Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. For fear of the Jews. I mean, in Jesus' day, you could get kicked out of the synagogue. And that's not just like, you know, oh, I'll find another synagogue. No, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. Uh, you were a part of that local synagogue. There was only one in your town or village. It was a social life, the social apparatus. To be kicked out of that was basically to be isolated, shunned, and kicked out of the family. And no one would want to have anything to do with you. And um, that was happening not because they were being disciplined for sin. It was simply because of one thing, for fear, for fear of the Jews. And I wonder now, are we afraid of you know, being canceled, as they say? Are we afraid of what it's going to cost us? Are we afraid of what people would think? Are we afraid we wouldn't be invited to the finest parties and gatherings where it might cost us a promotion or anything like that? Well, you better think long and hard because it might. It might. And yet your relationship with the Lord ought to be more important than those things according to the Lord Jesus. Okay, number four. How about just plain old apathy? And what is apathy? It doesn't mean you don't go to church anymore or anything like that. It means, basically, you could do all of the right things. You could get up early and have a quiet time. You could be in the choir. You could teach a Sunday school class. You could come to church even on Sunday night and yet be completely unmoved and unstirred by the Word of God. You just don't care. It's what we call losing your first love. In the second chapter of Revelation... Jesus, these are his words. And he said to the angel, the messenger, the pastor, I would assume, of the church of the Ephesians, right? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, the judge, the one who evaluates his church. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and what you and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Well, those sound positive, don't they? And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. Well, that's discernment. And have found them liars. And you have persevered. Well, that sounds good. Keep on keeping on. And that you uh, have patience and have labored for my name's sake. Well, then what in the world are you upset about, Jesus? Well, then it goes on, and you have not become weary. This is a hard-working church. Hey, put my resume in. I'd pastor that church. You would love being a member of that church. But then he says, But nevertheless, verse 4, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of of the paradise of God. So um, to use old CB lingo, some of you know what I mean by that. Hey, you got your ears on? We got to hear what God says to us about this. Our church will die if we do not witness. Our church will cease to exist like others whose doors have closed and it won't be a matter of money, it won't be a matter of attendance, it won't be a matter of anything like that. It'll be a matter of the fact that we do not share our faith. And by the way, sharing your faith is more than inviting people to church. I'm all for inviting people to church. You ought to be inviting people to church. We ought to have guests every week. And one of the most wonderful things would be that next time Brother Chad stands up to introduce someone that is saved, has been saved, and they're a candidate for baptism, is to mention your name that you led them to the Lord. That would be just, boy, talk about having the joy bells ring in our church. That would be an amazing, amazing thing. But you got to do it. You got to do it. We got to be out there. We got to be with people. And we've got to intentionally do these kind of things. And to just, oh, I don't care, is wrong and it's bad. To get fired up, about maybe a point of Calvinism, but not share the gospel, you're a hypocrite. 
Strong words, I know, but you are. You're a hypocrite. When you get fired up about politics and just ho-hum about Jesus, I'm not even sure that you would qualify to call yourself a Christian. Strong words, but I think the Scripture backs me up. What is wrong with us if we are not aggressively and intentionally sharing the faith? Now, okay, can I back up just a little bit? I don't want you to become the person that when you walk into the local diner, everybody gets up and leaves because you're going to stand up on the table and preach to them or something. Uh, That can do more harm than good. But I am talking about the fact that everywhere you go, is there an opportunity to witness? Is there some way you could find a witness, even to the most difficult people, even if it's writing them a letter? You know, maybe you can't do it face-to-face and all of that, and it would cause more harm than good, but you could write a letter. Maybe when you do Christmas cards this Christmas season, maybe you could make sure there's some gospel in them and uh, that type of thing. We cannot lose our first love. And if you look back and you say, boy, there's a time when I was on fire for Christ, then you're backslidden if you're not now. That's what Jesus is saying. Those are His words. And so we need to remember from where we have fallen And we need to repent of that. That's a sin issue. And then we have to go further, he says, and return to those first works. And that's what I'm asking you to do tonight. Number five, how about idols? There may be some things we worship more than Christ. There may be some things we value more than Christ and more than salvation. It might even be church. I love my church so much. Yeah, but the key is do you love Jesus? I love sports. Good for you. That's fine. But do you use that as an opportunity to witness? Or is it an opportunity to skip church? Is it an opportunity to teach your kid to be committed, to be part of a team? And then you violate all of that when it comes to church, when it comes to Sunday school, when it comes to anything else. Church is always, you know, back burner kind of stuff. That means you've got an idol. It may be family. You know, I'm committed to my church until family gets involved or It might be politics. I can get really fired up and give money to politics and speak out on all of that and campaign and those type of things, but never tell anybody about Jesus. Those are just examples. And in Ezekiel 14, 3, it says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired at all by them? Listen, if you've got idols in your heart, here's the basic translation of that, the Kenan version. Your prayers aren't going to be answered. God will not share the place that He demands in you with anything or anyone else. And so He says here to Ezekiel, if they've got idols in our heart, why should I answer? I'm not going to let them be inquired. So if your prayer life is struggling, you might look for idols in your heart. In Luke 6.45, let me read it out of a couple of different translations. NIV says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings up evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So, So what are you full of? What is it that comes out of your mouth? What is it that you find easy to talk about? What is it that you're burdened and passionate about, speaking about and trying to convince and persuade other people? Jesus? Their need for salvation? Do you do it because it's a good thing, because it's a treasure in your heart and you love them and want them to see it? Are you just trying to win a fight or win an argument or pound them down or beat them down? Don't don't, don't do that. That's not our motivation. The New Living Translation it says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So what would the evaluation of Christ be based upon your conversations with other people and even with strangers? Because what you say is what you value and probably, ouch, what you worship. Okay? Where does Jesus figure into that? Number six, 
Some people don't witness because of a defiled conscience. They know who they are. They know they're not living up to everything that they should, and it bothers them. And it should bother them. It should. But uh, in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. In Acts 24, 16, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward God and man. And 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks of you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness. We're not trying to win an argument. And respect, we care about them, we honor them. Now, oh, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And sometimes we get so involved in sin and we get involved with sin with other people. Man, it's probably hard to witness to somebody that you've been immoral with. It's probably hard to witness to somebody that is your partner in crime or something like that. Probably hard to witness to somebody who has observed your life. You need to get your life cleaned up. You need to get rid of sin. Even the secret sin in your life will keep you from being a witness. A good conscience is the key there. And number seven is misunderstanding, misapplication, or denial of doctrine. Misunderstanding, uh, misunderstanding, misapplication, or denial of doctrine. Let me, let me tell you this. The doctrines of grace, Calvinism, predestination, Sovereignty of God was never intended to keep you from being a witness. Never. Never. You're misunderstanding it. You're misapplying it. If you hide behind that, you're wrong. Just put it that way. You're wrong in what you understand about Christ and the gospel and all of that. That is one of those things that that is a doctrine for the saved. And that's where we understand why. Why did I come to Jesus and the guy sitting next to me didn't? Because of the work of God. Praise his holy name. Now, I don't ever get, want to get arrogant about that. And neither should you. And uh, we preach a whosoever will gospel. Spurgeon said it's like there's a big sign that says whosoever will may come. Because that's what Jesus said. And then when we walk through the sign we look back and on the other sign it says the elect and called out from every nation. That's a family secret. That's for us. And that's to keep us humble before God. That's to keep us from walking around like, I know something you don't know, or I'm smarter than you, or why can't you see this? Had it not been for the work of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't have seen it either. And so that's just for us. But to the lost, we are to care for them. Liberals don't witness because they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe in hell. They don't believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. And hyper-Calvinists don't witness because they blatantly disobey the Lord. And Arminians are poor witnesses as well because they think that they have to sell somebody and convince them on the gospel and persuade them and think that it's all up to them. And so they would, if I believed that, I would go, Ooh, leave it to the experts. I'm no good at that. I might mess it up. But the scripture tells us that as we witness, however good or however feeble we may be, God is the one that converts the soul. God is the one that draws them to himself. God is the one who gives them faith to believe. And so, whew, just be faithful to tell the story. And talk to them not so much about what I did. You know, there's a place for that. But the gospel, we've got to get to the point of talking about repentance from sin about Christ dying on the cross for that sin and bearing the wrath of God in our place and being raised from the dead and we have to confess Him as Lord of all. Get into all of that. It's more than just I go to church, I'm a good person or I prayed a prayer or I walked an aisle or I went down front. All of those things that we say, they have no idea what all of that means. Be specific about all of it and you haven't really witnessed unless you've warned them about 
hell and judgment to come. And there's a way to do that where you can be kind and merciful and loving while you do it. And uh, I certainly hope that you will. And I want you to think about this. Are you burdened about the lost estate of people? Because Paul, in Romans 9, where he talks so much about the sovereignty of God, it's so strong in there, most pastors I know won't even preach Romans chapter 9. And yet he starts off by saying this, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Well, what is it, Paul? What's the big deal? That I have great sorrow and increasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Cut off from Christ, accursed. You know what he was saying? If it were possible, I would go to hell and suffer for them if they would be saved. You say, oh, well, nobody can do that. Hold on. That's what Christ did for you. He came to earth and he suffered hell on the cross in your place. And Paul was so full of Jesus, he wanted to do the same thing. He couldn't because he's a sinner like us, but that's where his heart was. And he had anguish. Do you ever agonize over anyone's lost condition? Romans 10.1, he says another thing like this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, speaking of Israel, is that they may be saved. Heart's desire and prayer. He not only thought about it, he prayed about it. Man, this is radical. Because God's the only one that can change a heart. So you might as well talk to God about people. Who do you have on your prayer list that is lost? Who are you burdened for? Who do you stay up at night? Who do you weep over that is lost? That's a challenge for all of us, including me. It's so easy to have Christian friends and Christian things and Christian activities and all of that that we never really get to know anybody who's lost. Well, Paul would say, shame on you. This is why you're in the world, so that you can be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've got to know people and you've got to love people and be around them in order to do that. Sometimes it takes time. Okay? And number eight. Well, let's just get right down to it. Sometimes it's just disobedience. We're ashamed of Jesus. We're rebellious toward his commands. I ain't doing it. And sometimes it may be because we think we have a better way. I said before I'm all for inviting people to church. And when we get to the O week in uh, November, we're going to be having our big Thanksgiving dinner. I want you to invite as many lost people as you can to that because there's something about being around Christians that is a positive. That's a good thing. They see that we're not sacrificing goats or whatever here. And uh, it's good to share that time with them. We're just normal folks like they are. It's also uh, good that we can get together because we're going to meet in the auditorium like we normally do. And I'm going to be out of commission during that time. And um, they're telling me whether I feel like it or not, I can't be around crowds and stuff for a month because if I were to get sick, uh, it would be bad news. And, you know, if I have my chest all split open, I really don't want to be coughing. So even a cold, you know, would kind of be a problem. But in my place, uh, my son-in-law Jeremy, Jeremy Davis, is going to be here and he's going to be sharing the gospel with your lost friends and loved ones before we go back and eat turkey. And so uh, bring people that night. Be praying about that that night because those things can be very valuable. During our fall festival, I don't care about the candy. I don't care about any of that kind of stuff. But what I do care about is the fact that people will come and we're going to be able to hand them a gospel tract by John MacArthur and a gospel booklet by a guy who's named just escape me but it'll talk to them and witness to them and who knows what the Lord will do with something like that we've got to look for opportunities and take advantage of it and we redeem the time the word redeem means buy it back if it's something that has something to do with what is wrong then let's do something and make it right and by the way you ought to celebrate on October 31st Reformation Day that's the day Martin Luther nailed the 95 thesis onto the uh, Wittenberg Chapel door. That was a life-changing, world-changing event. And we certainly ought to celebrate that. 
and not give credence just to everything that's evil or dark or scary or whatever. Uh, somebody told me one time, quit cussing the dark and light a candle. And that's really what we want to do. And uh, we don't want to be disobedient in witnessing in any way. But here's the, the point that I wanted to make about those things. Those are not the only ways to witness, and they're probably not the best ways to witness. I bet if we were able to put everybody that was saved in a revival or a crusade or an event like our Thanksgiving dinner, we're thankful for every soul that is saved, and we're even thankful for every seed we can plant through those things. But that's not the way God told us to do it. He said, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. And the Greek word there on go is going preach the gospel. It's everywhere. It's anywhere. It's not just, I'm going to go on a short-term mission trip. It's, I'm going to work. How, who can I share with today? Who can I give a tract to today? Who can I speak to about Jesus today? Um, this is the way we are supposed to live. It's supposed to be a lifestyle and in, of intentionality of sharing the gospel and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's not a better way. This is the way he said to do it. Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. If somebody were watching you in here, and then they watch you out there, would they be shocked that you're the same person? Would your vocabulary be the same in here as it is out there? Or would they be going, wait a minute, I thought you were a Christian. What's going on here? And so they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable disobedient that's God putting those words together disobedience is detestable to him it's not just a mistake or a you know oh whatever it's detestable to them this is willful knowing the will and the commands of God and not doing it just saying I ain't gonna do it we're stubborn toddlers in the, that respect and he says unfit for any good work in other words your good works are nullified if you're not speaking up speak up 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. And so it really does boil down to this. You going to obey? This is a command. You going to obey or are you not? And just to close things out, I've got a little clip by an atheist. His name is Penn Gillette. You've heard of Penn and Teller. And I want you to hear what Penn Gillette, the atheist, has to say about people who try to, as he calls it, proselytize. We would call it evangelize, witnessing, testifying, sharing the good news. I want you to hear what an atheist has to say about you if you're not witnessing for Christ and you don't care. Okay? Let that sink in and listen to what he has to say. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. That's probably the first time an atheist has ever preached in this church. You know what I say to that? He's right. He's right. And if we want people to respect us, we've got to speak up about what we believe. And an atheist just rebuked us with the question, how bad do you have to hate someone to not tell them what you believe? How bad? Well, that's the way the world perceives it. Now, we may bug them, we may annoy them, and we will. We may be persecuted by them, and we will. That's promised in Scripture. But from our standpoint, do we love the Lord enough to not be ashamed of the gospel? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? Well, we shouldn't be either. 
And when we think about that, then we also have to have a love and a concern and a care for people that we're around. And how bad do you have to hate them to keep your mouth shut? Because that's really what it comes across as. If you love them, you'll find a way to tell them. Now, I'm not asking you at your Thanksgiving dinner with all of your family there to ruin everybody's Thanksgiving by standing up on a chair and yelling at them and preaching. No, you find a way. You find a way. Maybe it is by volunteering to pray. And when you pray, put the gospel in. When uh, Rachel Freeman was killed and we had the, uh, uh, the thing in the high school gym at Moore, um, they, I was called on to pray. And when I prayed... It wasn't a long prayer, but we prayed. And another pastor from in the area, he came up and he said, man, good job, you got the gospel in on all of that. Yeah, it's whatever you can do. They didn't ask me to preach. They asked me to pray. But in the way that I prayed, I thank God for the coming of Christ and that he bore the wrath of God on the cross for our sins, that he was raised on the third day, that he was exalted as Lord of all, and that he is the only way to heaven or something similar to that because I know the gospel is powerful. Maybe you can do that at your Thanksgiving dinner and you don't have to personally, combatively go after anybody. Or maybe a relative or a friend calls you up and they say that, you know, I'm having trouble in my personal life. I'm having trouble with addiction. I'm having trouble in my marriage or I'm having trouble with my kids. And maybe you just ask them, may I pray for you? And uh, hardly anybody's going to turn down that. They may, but hardly ever. But when you do that, you say, Oh, Lord, I thank you that when we go through the trials of life, we have the opportunity of walking through those trials with you. You don't spare us from the trials. You walk with us. And I want to pray that as we do this, we will remember what you did for us when you died on the cross you paid for our sins. You took the wrath and the judgment of God. You know what I'm saying on that. And we be sure and we bring that up. You never know what that might do. It might spark a question. What did you mean by that? That's not what my church sounds like. I thought by my good works and by my rituals, by sprinkling holy water or whatever it might be, that that was going to make things right. You don't seem to believe that. Why? Well, you got an open door when they say why. Or when they say, what did you mean by that? Or what? And if not, then you can take it and say, well, I guess it was seed planting time. Maybe it was watering time. But it's probably not harvest time. But Lord, I do pray that the harvest would come in. And we can take advantage of all of those kind of things. You can go through the drive through at McDonald's and when you get your food, hand somebody a track and say, hey, would you mind reading this on your break? It changed my life and I, I think it would be meaningful to you as well. You can leave it when you're at a restaurant. Leave a really good tip, okay? Really good tip. Don't be chinchy. Leave a good tip and leave a gospel track. Because if you're a good tipper and they go, whoa, what is with this person? Man, that made my day. And then they see that, they just might read it. And there are all kinds of things that we can do. you got a neighbor and you see a bunch of cars gathered up around it. Somebody probably died. Well, you can bake a cake, take a meal over to them, and put a gospel tract in it. That might be the one opportunity where they're curious about life after death and what happens. Take advantage of those kind of things. In politics, they usually say in a bad way, don't let a good crisis go to waste. I'm saying it to you in a good way. Don't let anything get by in your life where you don't look at it as an opportunity to share your faith. Is there an opportunity? Can I do it? Is it, is it right? Is it ready now? And the Holy Spirit may say, sick them. Or it might be something different. It might be somebody else is going to do that, but you can have a part in it and you can at least pray. So I'd like to close this out by saying, which one of those, what's your excuse? Not really an excuse, is it? Where do you struggle? Because we all struggle. Shared with you some of mine. Don't, uh, don't look spiritual at me now like you don't have them. I know you do. And I would like for you at the bottom of the paper, I would like for you to do two things. I want you to write down the name of somebody that you are burdened for and that you're going to commit to pray for them and ask God to give you an opportunity to witness to them. And uh, when you do, bring them here and we'll 
You know, get them baptized and help disciple them, and it'll be a joyous, joyous thing. I want you to write that down. And I also want you to write down the name of somebody that uh, is in the church, that maybe they're not back to church yet after COVID, and I would like for you to write their name down and reach out to them and pray for them and encourage them to come back to Sunday school, to come back to church, to come back to Sunday night and uh, be involved in helping to build up the church because we're a body and the Bible says that through the giftings and relationships that we have, we supply whatever is needed. God does that through us. And Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. To him be glory in the church through Christ Jesus, world without end or through all generations. Amen. And that's what our prayer is tonight. Lord, do that through the power that works in us far beyond anything we could imagine. Blow our minds, Lord, with your power and with what you do through weak, frail, disobedient sinners like us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Man, that's exciting to think about what God can and will do through your witness. And don't put it all on you. Well, I don't know that I could do that. Well, it's not really about you in any way other than being obedient. Okay? And I told about a friend today that tapped that hell's angel guy on the shoulder and led him to the Lord. That ain't me. And it's probably not you. But you know what? There are some things and some people I could sit down and talk to better than he could. Let's just do what we can do, but let's do it in the power of the Holy Spirit and let's do it now. And how different, how different things would be if we would be obedient to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Okay? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes and ask the Lord, what are my two names? supposed to be and who does he bring to mind write them on that paper and go ahead and pray for them now and I dare you I double dog dare you ask God to give you an opportunity to speak to them and take it when it comes up okay. father let us be intentional to be obedient to you as good soldiers and followers of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.